0: Kinsey and I am by myself tonight once again. Josh was unable to make it. I do want to apologize to everybody for being a little bit inconsistent in the past few weeks. Um, On a on a quick personal note, my youngest son, who is eighteen months old, had a ruptured appendix, and uh, in patients that young, it tends to manifest a little bit differently. They don't have the the kind of like the classic fever spike. They don't really come. I mean, he's 18 months, so he can't really complain too much about a stomach hurting anyway. Uh, it just became really lethargic. Um, and we took him to the ER. It took him about a day and a half to finally diagnose him with appendicitis. And uh, once they did, he had surgery and we were in the ICU for about a week. So um, our lives kind of got derailed uh, in the Kinsey household. But now we're back. He's doing much better. Um, recovering now at home. So uh, I appreciate everybody that reached out and wished us well. Um, but anyway, that's not what we're here to talk about tonight. We are here to talk about the LAFC draw against the Portland Timbers on decision day. Pretty disappointing result, given the way the match went and what LAFC, what was at stake for LAFC um, in terms of Playoff seeding, I think when they were winning, they were going to be playing against Minnesota and now we will face Seattle in Seattle in the first round of the playoffs, which is not the most ideal of situations. It's not insurmountable. It gives them a chance for a bit of playoff revenge. Sure, I think we've played Seattle now four times this year. varying levels of success Um, it's uh, not something that I think is I don't know I guess I I would say that I'm not too optimistic about the playoffs in general for this LAFC team this year based on their up and down performances whereas in the playoffs in a one-off system you really have to be consistent for four or five straight games and that is not something we have seen from LAFC, I don't think, at all this season. There may have been one or two stretches where they looked okay for three or four games, but playing against the best competition that the league can offer in you know, consecutive weeks is going to be quite the test for this LAFC team. Um, so let's talk about the match here. Uh, notable start. I will, uh, I'll, I'll get this. Uh, Right off the top is Christian Torres. So awesome to see him get his first start in a big game. Uh, He started on the left wing with Diego Rossi and Carlos Vela up top. Behind them in the midfield were Latif Blessing, Jose Cifuentes, and Eduardo Tuesta. And then the back line looked a little bit different tonight as well. You had um, Eddie Segura at right back. You had Jesus Murillo in... At at the right center back position, Tristan Blackman at left center back, Jordan Harvey at left back, and then Vermeer was our starting keeper. Um, I thought the lineup decisions were fine. Um, No real complaints. I think you had four solid defenders out there for the most part. I know people people are going to quibble about uh, Blackman or Harvey being involved. I thought both of them looked good. Um, and the midfield functioned okay for the first half, I'd say, and the front three looked active and and good. I think Vela still has some time before he's ready to go full 90. He went uh, full 90 tonight, but um, I thought he looked a little bit fatigued towards the end of the second half there. Um, So Christian Torres coming back to him again. I thought he looked great, um, kind of a stereotypical thing to say, I guess, but he's a 16-year-old kid, and he did not, he did not run out of energy. He was all over the field, uh, closing down uh, anybody, any Portland Timber that was on the ball on his side on the left side there, um, making sure to leave a little something extra on on challenges. At one point, he just pushed somebody over from behind, which I was more than happy to see. Uh, see him not shy away from contact or from uh, going after full grown men. I, I, I like to see that. Um, I think it was in the seventh minute. Let's blessing. Picks up the ball like a loose ball in the attacking third, he's able to dribble free and take a shot on goal. Uh, and it was easily handled by the keeper, but spilled right into the feet of Carlos Vela. And you can imagine how that went, uh, Carlos, one-time finish near post. LAFC are up 1-0. And that's how the game remained for about 85 minutes until the very end of the match where um, off of a corner, Portland are able to launch a counterattack through the middle of the field, then out to their right wing, and then a lofted cross to the back post where Jorge Villafana was wide open. And I mean wide open for the easiest header he will ever score in his life. Um, Pretty disappointing way to finish it off. Um, There's not, especially because even though Portland, um, even though Portland had played so much better against us and played, their press was more effective in the second half, and we were having a much harder time maintaining possession of the ball. Uh, They it still felt like this goal came against the run of play. So uh, it kind of tough the stomach. It feels like a loss, especially at home, and given all that was riding on it. Um, let's see. What else here? A uh, couple of notable um, performances and actions. I thought Edward Atuesta had a great game. Diego Rossi, I think, hit the post twice um, in his... In his quest to extend his lead as the golden boot winner, which again, we shouldn't bury that. Uh, Diego Rossi is LAFC's second consecutive golden boot winner. Um, with a total of 14 goals, Raul Ruiz Diaz from Seattle was not able to catch him today. And it's pretty cool. It's pretty. I think he's also the youngest golden boot winner in league history as well. So pretty awesome accomplishment. Kudos to him. It's, I know we've all been saying this for a long time, so the longer that it goes on, the less I believe it's actually going to happen. But uh, you have to imagine that come January when the transfer window opens, he's going to be one of the first MLS products to be shipped overseas. Um, So that will be tough to see him go. But it's also inspiring to see somebody like Christian Torres step right up and look like he's perfectly at home on the left wing against what is currently uh, one of the better teams in the Western Conference in Portland. So um, let's see, what else here? I think I mentioned Atuesta. Let's talk about the back line a little bit because that was a little bit different. You had Segura on, uh, on the right at right back. Uh, Jesus Murillo at right center back, like I mentioned. And Murillo continues to be a great defender. I think he is solid one-on-one. His recoveries are great. I think he's the guy that you can put back there as the anchor and you can let your left center back be a little bit more adventurous. You can push your fullbacks up because he's not going to let a whole lot get by him. He's got decent closing speed. So he's able to, to catch up to whatever ball is lofted over the top. As long as he takes a good angle, he's going to be there and he's sure footed. He's not, you know, he puts in good challenges. He's clearing balls out of the air on aerial crosses. So I I, I really can't say enough about his game defensively. Um, in the last match, he had a great ball. I'm trying to remember who it was to at this point. Out to the left wing. Um, and then it fell to the feet of blessing eventually on the, on the cross. It must have been to Diego Palacios uh, out there on the left wing. And we all kind of thought, oh man, is this is this what we can expect? And I don't know that that showed up in this game. I felt like the distribution on the right side of, of the back line was pretty poor. I think it's I think it has a lot to do with Eddie Segura not being a natural fullback and not having played that position for us at all. Really, uh, I felt like most of the balls from Murillo and from Segura were just kind of launched forward to the right wing, almost forcing the ball to Vela too early. So they're trying to, you know, put driven passes that die somewhere in the, you know, in the attacking third, so for Vela to run onto or lofted balls over the top of Jorge Villafana. And none of them really came off. And I kind of felt like that was a theme going into the second half, too, where it was just a lot of long balls to wingers that weren't quite capable of holding up play quite enough and allow the team to pivot off of them. I think that's one reason you see Christian Torres subbed off when you do, because Brian Rodriguez is able to hold up the ball a little bit better, despite what LAFC Twitter has to say about him. Uh, So, yeah, the second half, like I mentioned, I feel like it, it became more of a problem. Of course, Mario comes out. I think, I think it was his knee. I don't remember exactly what happened to be honest with you. Um, at some point he, he, he gets semi injured, continues to play for the rest of the half. And then is subbed off at the half for Dan Jakovic And uh, it's, it looked, it looked fine. I think Yakovic is, you know he's always filled in admirably. He's definitely not the same as Mario, though. It's it's very clear that uh, that was a that that was a, a big upgrade, and Murillo is one of the guys that I really hope they they resign or that they uh, complete the the option to purchase him um, or his contract, I should say. Um, let's see what else here. I think that about covers it for. Oh, one more thing that I wanted to bring up is I thought Jordan Harvey looked good on the left side. Um, one thing that I really appreciate him is he's very deliberate in possession. And I think what this does on that left-hand side is it op- it opens up a lot of space as they invite more and more pressure to the left-hand side. It opens up more and more space on the right wing for Carlos Vela um, so that when the ball is switched and played over that side, Carlos is you know up against one, maybe two, defenders. So I think Jordan Harvey's a good, still a good option back there. Um, I don't know what the plan is with Palacios. I know he's going away on international duty, so I don't know if he's going to be back in time for the playoffs, which seems crazy to me, but um, MLS is going to MLS, as they say. And yeah, I feel like that's about it. Again, by myself, it's kind of hard to To really talk for a long time about anything, I kind of feel like I'm going crazy after a little while. Just talking to myself here. Um, So we'll get into listener questions here. Thank you, everybody, for tweeting in. The first one is from PG at Paul T. Greco. Get me ready for the playoffs. Starting lineup and what's the strategy to not fall against Seattle again? This is a good question and obviously one that's very pertinent. I think it's one that everybody's going to be worried about. I think the model for beating Seattle is what we've seen in the past when we beat them. I think we beat them twice this year, including the blowout win in Orlando in the tournament. And it's the effectiveness of the press. If the press is effective, they can't hang with us because they are a possession based team. They're going to play a little bit more methodically. And uh, as long as they try to play with the ball and we can press them effectively, we can win but if we allow them instead to uh, make us play out of the back and their press is effective, I know this is kind of like uh, it sounds simple, but if we see what we saw last year, where Edward Atuesta is taken out of the game because he's man marked in their press and they're able to counter that counter like they did last year, then that's how they typically beat us. So these games, um, It really seems like they go one way or the other, right? Where it's either a blowout for them or a blowout for us. So if it's me, I think, oh man, let's see here. For me, it's Pablo Cisniega, it's across the back line. Oh boy, this is difficult. Because I feel like right back is just such a question mark. Still, um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna start up top because I feel like that's where I'm more secure. So I'm gonna play Rossi, BWP, and Vela up top at the beginning to start. I'm going to put Cifuentes, K, and Atuesta in the midfield, and I will go. Hmm. I think I'm gonna go with Blessing, Mario Segura, and Harvey at left back. Just because I I need I need sure defenders back there, and Latif is going to be adventurous. And part of this is because I I can't imagine Bob not starting him in a playoff match. So I, I feel like I'm kind of cheating my own. My own starting 11 here, Um, but I think he's also a guy that can help you in the press. He's a guy that can keep pace with Jordan Morris on the left wing, even though he might get caught out of position. Man, I might need to rethink this considering Jordan Morris is there, but I don't know that I trust Tristan Blackman all by himself over there either. So, man, right back is is such a question mark for us this year. So I think, I think that's what I'm... I think I'll stay with Blessing um, for his work in the press. I don't know if Munir if can come in and, and play there as well. Uh, oh man, I'm sorry for being so indecisive here, but uh, you're getting it all live. So I, I think I'm sticking with that. And like I said, the game plan is going to be, one, you have to neutralize Jordan Morris because he's killed us in the past, and it's always on the breakaway. I think Murillo is going to help with that because he's his positioning is solid, and like I said, his closing speed is is good, um, but mostly his his tackling is just so sound that I think he's a guy that can help to, to cover up any warts that we might have at, at right back if he's there in that right center back position. So you neutralize Jordan Morris. Um, Nico Ladero is going to be the other one that I think you're going to be worried about I think if you have Cifuentes and K there you can you can press that midfield effectively. Um, they will likely play out of a double pivot. So and Lodero's is not going to be one of those six. He's not going to be the six of the eight. He's going to be the 10. So you might have to have Cifuentes come back a little bit from where he would normally play or have K kind of shadow him a little bit more. Um but I think if you do that, if you neutralize Lodero, you are going to cut off service to Rui Diaz up top. Um, and, if you can, and if you can neutralize Jordan Morris, like I said, then you've kind of taken away a lot of their threats. Um, one thing that I will say is uh, I can't remember his name. They're left back. He's one that's given us a lot of trouble, and in including in that match in Orlando, uh, the 6 or 7 to 1 game that we had against them, when Schmetzer changed up the left backs at, I think, halftime, it really changed the complexion of the game. Man, I wish I could remember this guy's name. Jovan Jones, I think it is. Um, he's one that's given us a lot of trouble down that left flank, largely in part, I think, due to our inability to find a consistent right back since Stephen Betashore left. So um, if, he's got, if he's starting, then I think – uh, it's even more important for us to have, a, you know, very specific instructions to Latif or Tristan or or Elmonir that they can't that they can't be caught out of position. That if they do go adventuring, they need to make sure somebody can cover. Or if they get caught out, they have got to get back quickly. Um, other than that, I we've we've seen the blueprint for Seattle several times again. It's winning in the press and cutting off service to their attackers. And if you can turn the ball over, you can, you can definitely score on this back line. You can, you can attack them quickly, which is what LFC does best when they're at their best. So, Paul, I hope that answers your question. I hope it wasn't too convoluted of an answer. Uh, next one is from Al Hopkins at Culver City, Al. Vermeer should be the goalie for the playoffs. He is in form and can play out of the back. World Cup qualifiers for the team, regardless. Excited for a match for a rematch versus Seattle. Always a good tough game versus them. Uh, man, Vermeer for me, me just—I, I, i am not. I'm still not sold on when he, when he does and does not come out. Uh, I think you are right, Al, that he is better with his feet. We've talked about that plenty on the show, so I won't go into it too much. Um, He had a great save against, I don't know who it was, Diego Valeri, I think, towards the end of the match today. Uh, He also got kicked in the face, which in my mind should have been a red card. I don't see how that doesn't fall into dangerous play. And, I mean, egregious dangerous play there. Vermeer comes out, gets his hands on the ball, and then is promptly kicked in the face by Espria. Um, doesn't matter that it's that it may be incidental. The keeper's got his hands on the ball, and you kick him in the face. It's got to be red. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, he gets a yellow in the end, but man, that is just it's just bad. It's just bad. Um, so again, I'm I'm more comfortable with with Sisniega there. I think he's looked good since he kind of like took over the position before he got injured or COVID or whatever it is that he's been out with. But um, I do agree that world cup qualifiers kind of hurt the momentum. We lost, you know, uh, some, some major components to the team. And I feel like it's taking us a few, a few weeks to get our mojo back now. Uh, and I, I, I am excited about being able to stick it to, to Seattle. Uh, doesn't mean I'm not worried about it. Similar to, um, the game against the, against Carson last year in the playoffs uh, where LAFC is finally able to shut down the narrative that they can't beat Galaxy and that they can't win a big game. Um, I would love to exact a little bit of revenge on Seattle. Next one here is from Alistair Christie at Christie Alley. And he has... Uh, Quote tweeted Yogo Benito with Edward to, Edward Atuesta's stats. So I'll go ahead and read them off here: 117 touches, 76 of 85 uh, on his passes, so 89 percent. 52 passes in opposition half, 26 in final third, three of five dribbles, one eleven 11 duels, one 22 recoveries, eight tackles, three interceptions, most touches, passes, passes completed, tackles, and ball recoveries. Um, uh, to us Tuesta, to, man, since he's come back after being injured in the tournament, I feel like he's leveled up again. The way that he handles the ball uh, is just fun to watch. He looks like a world-class midfielder, to be honest. The way that he caresses the ball whenever, whenever he receives it, the way that he can flick a ball forward if he needs to or backward or whatever it is, the way that he spins away from pressure, uh it's just all so smooth. He's a delight to watch. I love watching him play. And I'm thrilled that LAFC have him because uh he would be incredibly frustrating to watch uh as an opponent when your team is trying to just dispossess him of the ball and he's just so so uh good at evading any challenge. So fun to watch. All right, next one from Mike Beats at Beats. Has a team had two different players win the MLS Golden Boot in back-to-back seasons? The answer to that question is technically no. Never had the Golden Boot given away to two consecutive players from the same team. I don't even think, let me check here one more time. I'm looking at the list. Nobody's ever won the Golden Boot. No team has won the Golden Boot two years in a row, period. Period let alone two different players. Except, if you go back to 2004, 2005, when in 2004, MLS was still just doing their scoring champion, which was, you'd get two points for a goal and one point for an assist. And you had uh, Pat Noonan from the Revolution tied with Amado Guevara from the MetroStars. So that was 2004, The Scoring champion, which was a tie. And then in 2005, when MLS went to the Golden Boot, Taylor Twelman won it at Revolution as well. So, again, the answer is no. Nobody's ever won the Golden Boot twice. Um, but somebody has, the Revolution have had two different people win it in consecutive years, but in different formats. The scoring champion and then the Golden Boot. Again, pretty cool to see Diego Rossi get it. Let's see who. Um, I, to, I don't have ages here, so I can't I can't tell you who was the second youngest. But I know that in the broadcast today, they said Diego Rossi was going to be the second youngest. Um, and again, LAFC is the first team to produce two of them in a row. So pretty awesome. Uh, next one here, Trevor Raleigh, Trevor Raleigh. Does home field matter when there are no fans? I will say that it's not as much of a factor, but there are a few things that are going to make this more difficult. First of all, the players' routines are thrown off. Not that anybody's in any sort of real routine or that LAFC have looked great at home this year because I don't think they have at all. Um, But when you have to fly into Seattle, and I think, I think still what they're doing is they fly in the same day, which to me is a problem. Um, I'd hate to be traveling like that for a few hours before uh, before having to play that night. Um, I don't know if it's going to be the same in the, in the playoffs, but that's problem number one for me. Uh, problem number two is you're just not in a familiar setting. Even though you've played there a handful of times, you're not in your locker room. You know, uh, you're not, you didn't spend time with your family. You're staying in a hotel or whatever it is. Um, And specifically in in Seattle, now you're playing on turf. Uh, And you don't know what the weather's going to be like. I don't think LAFC plays in a whole lot of weather, obviously. Um, Especially when compared to somebody, say, in the Pacific Northwest, where they're going to get rained on all the time. Um, So that'll be, I think, an additional challenge for for LAFC, uh, playing on the turf, playing in the weather, having to travel. I think it will impact them, and it's it's at least a, a minor advantage for Seattle, I would say. All right, last question uh, from Vela's Left Foot Supporters Group at the LA Wanderer. We all know who that is. LAFC is gaining reputation quickly, no more excuses. Man, I I can't agree with this one more at all. Uh, LAFC is getting reputation as being soft, as being a team that you can unsettle with physical play, as being a team that is going to choke games away, as being a team who isn't going to win big games and can't put together consistent performances in the playoffs. Obviously, last year they were were extremely consistent all the way through uh, the season. And then had that game against Seattle last year that we all know how it went. Um, they kind of they laid an egg when they went to León. They came back home and got that done in the Champions League, and hopefully they can they can repeat um, us in a similar manner manner when Champions League starts again. But um, there is there is a bit of a. A bit of a rap sheet out on LAFC and that's it soft can't close it out and can't win the big ones so uh, there's a there's a lot to prove this year and like I said earlier they haven't exactly been very consistent over over this season um and I think it started off kind of shaky against Philadelphia and Miami then we had the layoff then looked good in the beginning of the tournament and then exited against Orlando. And it's been a bit of a roller coaster ever since then, where they'll go on a, on a little streak and then they'll go on a losing streak and then they'll drop points on, you know, a game you didn't expect. And then they'll come back and they'll have a blowout win. And we all start thinking, oh man, this is great. And then you have a couple of results that go like they have this week. Um, so, it's, uh, it's been pretty frustrating. I'm sure the team is frustrated as well. But it's time to put up or shut up. No more excuses like Monty says. Um, that's all I have for tonight. Thank you for everybody tweeting in at the show. Uh, if you have any more questions, be sure to tweet at us at counterpress underscore. Me at Kirk Kinsey or Josh at LAFC Josh. We will talk to you all next time. Bye.